You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to another edition of the On the Forecheck podcast. It is the playoffs, ladies and gentlemen. Playoffs. Yeah, Jim Mora be damned. I'm Nick Morgan, joined as always by the McDonald's large fries to my McDonald's large Coca-Cola, Sean C. Smith. Yep, that's me. I, I don't know, like, you keep making these comparisons and you just, I'm not sure, like McDonald's fries, like they used to be good, but what's happened? I don't whoa, think they're whoa, still good anymore. Do not, let's not start with some McDonald's fries, Lander, right It's now. not like they're sponsoring us. I mean, I think it's fine for me to have a, a different yes. opinion, but... Come on. I mean, there's there's the hope of getting the golden arches to <laughs> shell some money for the On the Forecheck podcast. I mean, if, if McDonald's is listening and they're like, we want to hitch our wagon to this uh to, to this horse here, then you know what? Then okay. I'm they're the best fries I've ever had. And if you don't eat them, there's something wrong with you. Are we gonna need to have a uh fries discussion on this podcast here in a little it's possible. bit? It's possible. It's possible. All right. Uh well. Let's uh let's add that to the end of the rundown, shall we? Sounds good to I, me. I feel strong feel strongly about this. We also today have a special guest, Andrew Schnitker, who's the editor of Kane's Country. He's gonna be joining us in a little bit. I actually did an interview with him earlier this week. Uh got some really good insight on this matchup, kind of from the Carolina perspective. He's very knowledgeable. He goes to all the Carolina Hurricanes practice, so he's a very good resource, and we're going to get some good insight from him coming up in a little bit. But, Sean, the Nashville Predators are in the playoffs. They are. I'm excited. Let, let's let that fact digest a little bit, because who would have thought we'd be saying that back in March? Well, you know, I think before the season started, if you if you look back, we were, we were all making predictions, weren't we, about where we thought the team could finish, and the range was they could finish realistically anywhere between second and seventh. Um, we knew we weren't going to be the best, but we knew we weren't going to be the worst. And I think you know, back in March, it was looking pretty much like, yeah, probably we're going to be eighth, but seventh was a strong possibility. I think that was my actual line in the preview too. I said they they could do anywhere from second to seventh. Who knows? Yeah. They, they were in that range, so they were right. But it is crazy because this team seems so dead in the water, you know, not even two months ago. You know, they just – there's nowhere to go. It seemed the rebuild was a question of when, not if. And then all of a sudden, you know, the goalie gets hot. UC Saros gets hot. Uh, a couple of wins go their way. They steal a couple of games. And then look where they are. I mean, it just kind of goes to show you for all the the posturing and wondering about, hey, what's next? What do these teams have to do? You still have to play games. And if you win games, you know, if you string wins together, if you grit out, you're going to have a chance. Yeah, big, big time. And I I think that's, you know, if you kind of look at the season, it's kind of like this uphill battle. And as you're nearing the top, it's like, 
okay, it's getting harder and harder to get up those last few feet. But then once you crest that hill, you, you get over and you start to coast. Oh, I don't want to say coast, but you start to pick up steam and you go faster as that speed builds. And you're really looking at things were bad, seemed like they were getting worse. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're rolling. And I think once they kind of hit that point in the season, probably back at the uh, at that road trip, it's been pretty incredible to watch how things have turned around. In your mind, what's been a few of the biggest differences between where the team is now and the team we were watching, you know, back at the start of the season. So I, I don't want to turn this into a really long drawn out thing, but I know that we had had, I believe it was Rachel Dory made the comment that the Predators were still playing like a team that hadn't had the Peter Laviolette beaten out of them. Um, and I think that was fairly accurate. You saw a lot of things that were very commonplace under Laviolette still continuing to happen on the ice at any given time. And you saw that not really working out. I can remember being in, you know, media sessions with John Hines and kind of, you know, hearing questions and hearing his answers to questions and asking questions that was trying to poke around the idea of, you know, what's what's really going on out here. And you could hear him, you know, trying to weave the narrative of the things that they were doing and how that could fit into what he wanted for the team. But I really think that it, it took uh and and high and I asked Heinz about this specifically, and he disagreed with me. But I, I really think that if you're looking at it, what happened was you had a lot of guys that were um, had played under Laviolette for a long time that were injured, and you brought in a lot of guys from Milwaukee or Chicago, however you want to look at it, that never played under Laviolette and have been playing under um, you know, the very strong leadership of Carl Taylor down in Milwaukee and the style of play that Taylor has been having them, you know, as a game plan for the past two seasons really lines up well with what John Hines wants the Predators to do now. So it was very easy for them to come in and start playing that way. And once they started playing that way, you started seeing the success and it was almost like proof like, hey, what what Hines is preaching here actually works when it's put into practice. So you started to see those veterans come back in and they had shed a lot of those behaviors that they, you'd see them, you know, doing of the, all of the point shots, for example, kind of went out the window uh, once the team was on a roll. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember back when Ellie Tolvanen started getting hot and Alexander Carrier was coming in and getting some big minutes. Somebody asked John Hines about, Hey, what are you going to do when, players like Duchesne and Forsberg come back in the lineup. And, you know, normally you'd hear a coach be like, oh, you know, there's going to be some good competition for spots. Hines basically just sat out and didn't say these exact words, but it's like, hey, you know, the these younger players are the ones that are going to have to rub off on some of the older players. Like the older players are going to have to match, you know, the style and intensity that they're playing with. So yeah. I, I think there's – I think that was very telling because – these guys, you know, they, they've, they haven't been through a rough season. Um, they haven't been through, you know, coaching changes or some of the weird locker room politics or issues that may or may not have happened over the past few years. You know, there, there's just these guys just knew how to come in and play good hockey. And I think once Ellie Tolvanen started finding chemistry with people like Mikhail Granlund and Alexander Carrier came in and played really well next to Matthias Ekholm. I think that's when you kind of started seeing more people buy in. Yeah, big time. 
And I, I think too, I I had the opportunity to talk to Carl Taylor and he, he didn't say like he, he outright denied pretty much when I said, you know, do you think it's possible that, you know, the, the kind of philosophy you preach down there about, you know, identifying your core skills and then adding layers to your game. You know, you look at someone like Victor Arvidsson, who um, defensively hasn't been the strongest defensive player turning around and having a very strong defensive season. Is it possible that these guys are coming up from the AHL and, you know, discussing this idea of improving your game and, and, you know, someone like Victor Arvidsson says, okay, I'm going to get better defensively. Do you think that could have happened? And he's like, hundred percent, not, no. He's like, but I will say that there's very strong possibility that those players are coming up there and they are rubbing off on them, at least in their enthusiasm and their excitement and their, you know, and all this stuff that's kind of changing the, the tone of, of, of how things are in Nashville. So, um, I thought that was kind of interesting that he was really quick to deny that, but <laughs> kind of seems like maybe there is, but and that kind of leads me into the the next topic I wanted to talk about because you actually did a piece on that earlier this week about the role John Hines has played. And, you know, listening to some of your words, it, it kind of brought back sort of the old saying in sports, coaches are usually the last to get credit and the first to get blame. But I, I think it is very far-fetched to look at this team and not think that John Hines does have some big role to play in all it. Oh, huge. And I, you know, I, I guess you could, that, that comment you just made, and I don't know if you want to say that again about coaches getting credit. Can you repeat yourself on that one? I said coaches are usually the last to get credit and the first to get blame. Yeah, that's, that is spot on. I think for, for this, this team, this season is that we'll, we'll put know, it on t-shirts. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll market that, it. That's a great idea. We'll get some, maybe put McDonald's on the back or something. There we go. Yeah. There's like uh that. there's your financial influx everybody do that i think that's perfect um but you know heinz i think had a bad you know i don't know what the right way to say this is but he he kind of had the deck stacked against him when he started um this was a team where and you got to remember when Poyle let lavia let go he gave the reason as i let the coach go because i can't fire the team and that's that's not really a good thing you want to hear. Like when you're coming in as the new coaches. So the last coach got fired because the GM couldn't fire the players. Like you're not really where you want to be in that situation. You've got a lot of uh, weird stuff to wade through. And I think Heinz had to do a lot of that waiting. And I think I talked a lot last season after Heinz took over about how long it would be before we were able to see, you know, the, the John Heinz system. And how long would it take before you got to see what John Hines wanted on the ice? And I remember even going into the return to play, I'd asked Nick Benino, who um, no longer plays for the team, unfortunately. Big Nick Benino fan here. Um, Great maybe guy. If, yeah, just awesome. Um, awesome interview. Solid player. But I'd asked someone had asked him. I think it may have even been me, you know how long do you think, you know, you have before you start seeing the Hines system in place? And he said, Oh, it's a hundred percent in place, which was kind of surprising considering, you know, the biggest differences I saw with Hines taking over was you saw, you know, a really big surge in Mikhail Granlin's play. Um, and you also saw, at least in the return to play, you saw a, a re-energized Ryan Johansson playing on that first line. Um, you know, 
but I still don't think, I don't think you saw that was really his system. I don't think that even once the team got back in this season, that they really committed to that style of play that he was looking for until you started seeing um, some injuries happen and started seeing some youth come up. Um, and I, I, again, I've been told that's not it several times, but it's really hard for me to see it any other way. I know that puts a lot of, I guess, you know, it makes the players look bad in that situation. But I, I go back to what Poyle said when he let Laviolette go. I'm firing the coach because I can't fire all the players. Well, kind of on that same note, Hines is going to have to have some roster decisions to make heading into the playoffs because, you know, he's had a lot of players step up while people were injured. But now that everybody's kind of starting to get healthy, he's got all this sudden influx of uh, returning players. Um, what What's going to be some of the most interesting lineup decisions in your mind that Hines is going to have to make? Well, You've got, I think for me, as long as you have your, what I would call your top four defenders back, um, which I believe they do, you're going to have to look at that bottom pairing really carefully because based on what you need them to do on the ice, you have a lot of options. You have people on that team right now that can come in and play the, I can come in and eat up minutes so the other guys can rest, but you also have guys that can come in and be very good two-way players. And so I, I think from that from that vantage point, you have to really think, what are we going to need each night? What should our plan be? Do we want less time on the ice for some of our stronger players like Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis, or do we want to see if we can get guys that can share this time really well so everybody's able to go out and play. You know, you hear about teams rolling four lines. Well, you know, do you want to go out and roll three pairs? Because it seems like you probably could with some players like Davies and uh, Carrier and even looking down at Ference as well. So you could do that, but you can also put some of your big body guys out there to uh, play physical and eat up some time. It seems more than ever this might be a playoff year where you see a lot of different line combinations, a lot of changes. And, you know, I know we saw that last year, but if you think traditionally back on, on past playoffs, really for any team, you know, teams try to keep the same lineups through the entire postseason, especially when they're doing well, especially when they're winning games. You know, we saw it last year just kind of because of necessity. I think it's possible the Predators might play somebody like Gabranson Harper on the bottom pair one game. Um, and then the next game, maybe put uh, Carrier, Davies, somebody like Ferentz out there, Matt Benning. Um, I think more than anything, you're probably going to see a lot of variations this year. And especially, I, I think we talked about the defense, but the Fords too. I mean, a big question I have is Matthew Olivier or Tanner Janot as the third guy on the herd line or beast line or whatever weird creature we're dubbing the fourth line now. It's the stampede line. The stampede line. I like that. I like that. No no disrespect to Kara Hammer on that one. But no, I mean, you look at it, Matthew Olivier played great there. Tanner Janot came in when Olivier got hurt and played great there, so... That, that to me, is going to be a big question, is which one of those guys do you put out there? That, that, that is kind of what uh, 
you're looking for. And I'll tell you, you know, today at practice, I did see uh, Janot and Trennan on the, on the wings of Sissons. And um, I think the, the biggest difference between Janot and Olivier is that Olivier does have some, some scoring touch. Don't, don't get me wrong, but Tanner Janot has a lot more offensive upside, I think. And so if, if you're going to go out and the purpose of your game is to try to roll four lines and score with every line, then I would say you're getting Tanner Janot out there. If you want to shift a little bit of, of what you're planning on doing that night, you want to play a, a stronger, heavier physical game using that fourth line to, to really just set the tone and, and punish guys in the corners, then that's probably when you're going to see Olivier out there. So that kind of brings me to the next question is, what do the Preds need to do to have a chance in this series? Because not a lot of people are giving them much help. And me and Andrew Schnicker from Kane's Country get into this in a little bit during his interview. But, you know, from a Preds perspective, they they have a shot. They have a shot. They've been playing really well. But Carolina's definitely got an edge. So what does Nashville, in your mind, need to do? You know, there's there's really two big things that I think you need to focus on. Now, I'll tell you the first one and I'll get your opinion, but there is a huge, huge lopsided special team situation going on where you have Amen to that. both a power play and a penalty kill that is rated ranked very highly uh, league-wide going up against a penalty kill and power play that is ranked very low league-wide. And so, you know, could it be that you're going to see less penalties because it's the playoffs and it may not be as much as a factor? Maybe. Or at the same time, could you see a situation where maybe we really focus on not having the guys commit as many penalties so you're not putting yourself in that bad of a situation? Well, one is just stay out of the box and... Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, that's And that's going to be a balance because, hey, it's playoff hockey. People get rough. It, you're going to see some emotions out there. Can you control the emotions? That's going to be the key. And, you know, we, we, we mentioned Olivier. We know he gets under people's skin. Uh, Yakov trending kind of the same way. You just don't want to see them go out and just, you know, shove somebody in the face in front of a ref. No, you want to you want to get under the guy's skin, but do it, you know, in the confines of the game and the team that does that well, because and look, I'm going to preface this by saying that there's probably not a lot we can judge on this series based on just the last two games. Right. But we did see a situation where the Predators just frustrated Carolina and they started taking bad penalties. You know, and the Predators, the last game, capitalized on them. Yeah. Carolina played so well against Nashville the first six games that it was the other way around. You know, it's just, it's who can annoy the other team more without crossing a line. That's that's exactly what it is. And I, I think, too, the Predators all season long have been hearing from Coach Hines about having discipline, you know, being able to stay mentally focused and not get thrown off your game. And the Hurricanes are a team that has gotten used to using their speed. And the problem, you know, this is the other thing I was going to say is that 
when you have a very fast team, even if you have some speedier guys on your own team, if you're not as fast as they are, the only thing that's going to happen if you try to win a race with them is that you're going to get tired. There's, there's no other risk. If you try to win a race against someone who's faster than you, you're going to lose that race. And the end result is you're worn out the whole game plan that the predators have had from before the season ever started is outworking their opponent and wearing their opponent down over the first two periods so they can capitalize in the third. That's, that's what they've been trying to do since before the first puck dropped. And that will work against the hurricanes. They're used to using their speed. If you slow them down, if you make them play a more physical game, that's not what they're used to. I mean, they're up for it. Don't get me wrong, but that's not what they're used to. And that'll wear them down. And when you have them worn down, they're not as fast. You can capitalize there at the end of the game. And that's, that's kind of the thing is that bothers the hurricanes that throws them off their game because that's not their style of play. Well, as we mentioned earlier, there's not a lot we can take from the the last couple games, but there was one thing that we do need to talk about, and that was the send-off for Pecorine. Oh my goodness. I'm I'm not an emotional guy, Sean. Like I don't tear up at a lot of things. Um this kind of felt like the end of a chapter for me. You know, I was in still in high school when Pekka made his NHL debut. I was just starting college when he took over the full-time job. You know, the Predators, he didn't even have a playoff series win when he came into the, into the fold. And, you know, I wrote the other day that it felt like Pekka Rene and the Predators kind of grew up with each other. You know, Pekka was just kind of like the, you know, the tall prospect with the funny name. You know, fans love the big tall goalie, you know. And then the Nashville Predators were the just kind of a scrappy up-and-coming team. You know, a fun place to watch a game, but nobody really took them seriously. And then, you know, the more the two kind of grew up with each other, like, it, it became storybook. Yeah, you know, the Predators made the finals. Pecorine is going to go down as the greatest Nashville Predator of all time so far. And Monday to me was just a perfect culmination of that. And uh, again, for the record, we we don't know what Pecorine's future holds. We don't have an official decision from the team. In fact. You know, every hint from the team was, we're not talking about it. This is just kind of a regular season game. Uh, you know, no decision's been made from either us or Pekka, but it, it did feel like this was kind of an acknowledgement that this might be it. And if it is, you couldn't have written a better send off. No. There's a, what was that? There's a movie and I, this is not hockey related, but I think it relates. There's a movie, Kevin Costner was in it and it was about a pitcher and he pitched a, uh, not a, not a no hitter, but a perfect game. Um, and as, as it went through the, uh, each inning and each at bat, there was some kind of flashback to his past. Have you seen that movie? Bull Durham? No, no, I, I gotta find this. Um, I know that's like the automatic go-to Kevin Costner baseball movie, but yeah, see. Kevin Costner. I'm going to look this up. 
Well, that's it's that or um, for the love Field of, of dreams. Those are those are the two Kevin Costner's baseball movies. I think. Uh, about. Well, you're forgetting for the love of the game where he played for the Tigers and was a pitcher. Oh, um, that's right. And that that movie has kind of always stuck with me because, you know, this is this is an older guy. He's closer to retirement. Um, he's definitely had his ups and downs in the game. Um, but you're kind of going through this game that starts off as a very unassuming just another game, but it turns into, you know, pitching a perfect game, which is incredibly rare. Um, but at with each at bat and each teammate or each play, there's some kind of flashback to his life or his career. And it's always really stuck with me, you know, that that uh, that movie, you know, if you think about like if you look at that as the end of someone's career, as the defining moment of their career, you know, you, you take a look at that game on was it Monday night and getting yeah, it was Monday. In a few days. Uh, but if you look at that game on Monday night, you know, you, you could not, like you said, you couldn't have scripted a better send-off. You had a shutout. You had tons of fans in the building when there'd hardly been any for a very long time this season. Um, you know, Ren- Rene hadn't played in quite a while at that point, and he comes in, and you've you've got this guy who's represented everything that you were talking about for so long, but you've also got all of these players in the roster who are getting their their first shot or they're getting, you know, this is your chance to go out and make a case for your, your spot in the, in the playoffs. And man, they put on a show, you know, there was a lot of scoring. There was a lot of intense play and just some incredible saves from Pecorine. Um, And I kind of think, you know, you could, you, you could make a movie out of that if you really wanted to. Um, I'm sure somebody will. I'm sure somebody will, but you know, that seemed very, seemed like a very Hollywood, uh, Hollywood story type game for him. And I don't want to say an ending because um, I watched the man practice today. So I know he's not done. Um, still have the playoffs and I'd, I'd like to think that he'll be back for another season. Um, but that's, that's up to him. That's, and you know, I, I, what, what's your, I'm curious. And I don't mean like your best Pecorine moment or memory, because I think a lot of people have been sharing those, but what is your particular Pecorine story. And what I mean by that is, you know, you were quite a bit younger uh, when he started than you are now. I guess we all are. That's true. But you were still, I think you'd say you're still in high school. Yeah. When he played his first game, you're still in high school. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I already had kids when he played his, <laughs> when he, when he played his, well, no, probably not when he played his first game, but um Different you know, time frame. Yeah, different time frame. So I'm I'm curious, like what's your what's your Pecorine story? Like what your first and again, I don't mean like, you know, like don't say, oh, the story for me was when he when he scored a goal, because that's that's incredible and that's amazing. I mean more so like what what was it that uh when you kind of realized that Pecorine was like the real deal, if that's if that's what I if that makes sense. I would say Man, is that too good of a question? So I really have to think because I want to say the 2011 playoffs. Okay, was kind of when it really was a clue to me that this isn't just some guy on a hot streak like right. Dan Ellis or Chris Mason. This is a guy who is legitimately going to be a great goaltender in this league. Um, you know, I remember the Chicago series the year before mm. um, that, that whole season was kind of Pekka Rene's played really great all year round. Um, 
But when they got to that first series against Anaheim, which was the first playoff series the Preds had ever won, and I, I'd never seen a goalie steal games like that. Yeah. Uh, at least not for the Predators. I mean, you know, Thomas Vokun to an extent, yes, but the the level of which Pecorine was carrying a team that quite frankly shouldn't have been as good as they were those, you know, couple of years in the early 2000 or early 2010s. That to me was a clue that this, this is going to be a different goaltender. Yeah. This isn't just going to be a flavor of the week. This isn't just going to be, you know, a Milwaukee guy who's, you know, going to get hot until the Preds can bring up, uh, Chet Picard, remember him, everybody? Crickets. Yeah. But those two series. And then I remember, I think Vancouver, especially, because that was the year that the Canucks made it all the way to the finals and lost, but they played the Predators in round two. And I just remember Rene standing on his head that entire, that entire series. And, you know, you, you think about how good the Canucks were back then and just, you know, three, four lines of just people who could score from anywhere on the ice. And then here's this team with Joel Ward and uh, Matt Halischuk out there, Jared Smithson, you know, and they're, they're out there just giving it their all. And then here's this young Finnish goaltender who's like, stonewalling the league's best offense. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, that to me was just, okay. But as, as the years went on, it's just that instinct never left. Like he's still the guy that you put out there to steal a game. It it never mattered who was on the ice for the predators. You know, we, we could have had, you know, Phil Forsberg, Matthew Shane, Ryan Johansson, or, or we could have had, you know, Brandon Yip or any anybody like that. It, it didn't matter who was on the ice because as long as 35 was on the ice, yeah. you knew the Predators were going to put up a fight and yeah. they were going to have a chance to win. And that is something that I think teams really take for granted nowadays. And Big time. It, it feels like UC Saros might be kind of in that same vein or at least he has been this year you know it's very rare it's very rare that you put a guy on the ice and just know no matter what the circumstances that you're going to have a chance to win yeah you're exactly right but this is a good place to take a break uh sean you know what time it is when it's a break time that Bathroom means it's time. trivia time. Oh, trivia time. Yes. Okay. Well, that too, if you have to go. Well, always. But I'll leave you with this. It is the playoffs. So two Nashville Predators have scored hat tricks in the playoff game. Can you name the two? The answer is coming up after the break. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back, everybody. As we went to break, my question for Sean was, two Predators have scored hat tricks in a playoff game. Can you name the two? One of them is pretty obvious because it was one of the most famous games in Predators history. Yeah, I got one of them for sure, and that's got to be Colton Sissons from the Western Conference Finals. Yep, game six, three goals. I want I want to say, was one of those goals, and I think this is why I remember it so well, I think my wife was at that game, I was home watching, and I think wasn't one of the goals got like, like got called in from headquarters. Like they went back and said he scored, right? Like, is that how that worked? I believe one of them got changed to Colton yeah. Sissons. I, I can't remember exactly the situation, but it's like a situation where somebody else had gotten credit for a goal and they went back and gave it right. to him. That's uh, what it but was. He, but he scored the game winning goal. Yeah. Uh, the one that made it four to three and then Forsberg and Watson iced it. Yeah, um, I, I remember because that's what it was, was because when they changed that goal and he had a hat trick or he had that last goal, I had s- sent my wife a text. I'm like, hey, they switched that other goal to Sissons. That's a hat trick. And she she was like, I don't think anybody in the arena was even aware of that, um, at least where she was sitting. And so um, it was kind of a big surprise to find out that that goal had been changed. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't know the yeah. other one. And then you have one. Okay, here's a hint. It happened in 2015. I don't know. Philip Forsberg. Oh. What game was it? I believe it was game five against the Blackhawks back on April 23rd, 2015. Wow. Predators won that one five to two. Hmm. Well, Good there stuff. you go. Let's, uh, let's hope maybe there's somebody who adds their name to that list this year. Who do you want it to be? Who do I want it to be? Yeah. Oh, let's just go crazy and say Tanner Janot. Ooh, I like that. That's a good or, call. Or if we want to get really crazy, how about like Erica Branson? I like that. Let's you know throw why in I like Erica that? Branson Patrick. Because everybody out there who's down on Erica Branson would be like, have to admit they were wrong. <laughs> well, he he can let in a he can score a hat trick and then be on the ice for three goals also, and then I'm sure that'll satisfy everybody's yeah. Erica. Oh, Branson but his anger. plus minus is even. Yeah, I know. the bunch of angry charts graphs yeah uh, good times but speaking <laughs> of <laughs> we should probably move on before we anger half of preds twitter yeah um and the rest of our staff and the rest of our staff <laughs> so earlier this week uh i had an opportunity to talk to andrew schnitker he is the editor of kane's country for those of you who don't know that is our sb nation sister site they cover the carolina hurricanes Uh, Me and him had a good talk about kind of where the hurricanes are right now, what to expect during the series. Everybody take a listen. Well, it's the Nashville Predators versus Carolina Hurricanes in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, let's say it's time to go behind enemy lines a little bit. So joining me now for a look ahead, Andrew Schnitker, editor of Canes Country. Andrew, welcome. Ready for playoff hockey? I am very ready, especially after these past couple... uh regular season games that we're maybe lacking in a little bit of uh, 
meaning I'm, I'm looking forward to some uh, some playoff games for sure. I would say that was a season's worth of frustrations on our end that just manifested itself in uh, those two games. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, um, I think, you know, that was kind of what you would almost expect to see out of those two games that definitely, I think, meant a lot more to Nashville than they did to the Hurricanes. Yeah. From your perspective, though, was it nice to see Pecorine? Obviously, we don't know his future yet, but I guess even as a as a opponent, it's nice to kind of see him get the curtain call that he did. Absolutely, yeah. I, th- I think I actually said this on Twitter after the game on um, Monday. I think I said like, "Good for Pecorine." He's a you know I've been watching and following hockey for a long time, and he's a player I've always very much admired and enjoyed watching. So no, that that was a cool moment for him. Uh, if if that was indeed his last um game in front of the nashville predators faithful that's a great way for him to go out well we obviously have a lot to get into in terms of the matchup uh first though i kind of wanted to get some groundwork i wanted to get your overall take on the hurricanes right now what's your general thoughts on where the team is headed into the postseason you know it's kind of interesting and we heard rod Brindamore talk about this actually today is they're kind of you know finally getting some practices in this week, which they haven't been doing much of in the last month, just with all the games packed in. Um, It's almost kind of a sense of ramping back up just because, I mean, the Hurricanes, you know, they clinched the playoff spot with a couple weeks left in the regular season. They clinched the division with a couple games left, which is really not something we're used to in this part, these parts. We're not used to those like games down the stretch of kind of like, pre-playoff season almost it's either like for the past decade or so with the hurricanes it's either been a mad scramble trying to get into the playoffs down the stretch or playing out the string because they are they have no shot so um you you know I I think it's just kind of a bit of ramping back up to that you know intensity level that they're going to need and I think they're going to get there um the big thing too is getting healthy obviously they rested a bunch of guys who are banged up in that series finale, season finale that we talked about. Um, you know, the kind of the main concern is Jacob Slavin, who left Saturday's game with an injury. But uh, Brendan Moore said today that he was fairly confident that the Hurricanes would have their full complement of players available when this series starts, which um, obviously none of us still know when that might be. But um, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, th- I think that's, you know, kind of where they're at. It's kind of a sense of, all right, the regular season is behind us. This is what we wanted, where we wanted to be. You know, they're in a really good spot. Obviously they won the division. They have that number one seed in home ice through guaranteed through at least the first two rounds, maybe the first three rounds, depending on what the Leafs do in their last couple games. But yeah, no, I think, um, it, it's a vibe of expectation which there has not been around this team in a long time, but also one of excitement, I think, because this team has a chance to really do something special here. And I was, you hit down this point earlier and I wanted to ask because Nashville a few years ago kind of found themselves in the same situation. The Predators were always that team that seemed to have to clat, uh, scratch and claw their way in. Uh, it was always came down the past couple of games and they're always the underdog. And then after the finals, that role kind of flipped and that's when the predators started to lose a little bit of their identity a little bit of their intensity um what do you see from the hurricanes that gives you belief that maybe they're they're really working on keeping up the intensity 
I, I guess are they finding a way to kind of keep that underdog mentality despite being heavy favorites going into the playoffs? I don't know about an underdog mentality. Um, you know, I, I think there is a sense sometimes of maybe not from opponents, because I think, you know, Rod Brindamore's talked about that they get the best game from opponents, but maybe from the outside, like the national media and stuff, maybe still don't quite give this team their due, even though they've had a really great season. I, I don't know if it's necessarily trying to keep the underdog mentality, because I think they have this mentality, you know, that they're really good and they expect to win and that's, you know, what they want to do. Um, but I mean, as long as the, um, as long as the head coach's name is Rod and his last name is Brindamore, I, I wouldn't worry too much about the hurricanes losing um, identity or intensity. I, I think that's always going to be in any team that he coaches DNA. And I think um, there's no reason to doubt that he can get this group ramped back up and ready to go to where they need to be heading into the playoffs. I was going to say, if there's one guy who you don't want to take a shift off with, it's Rod Brindamore. Yeah. Um, that That's an old school guy. Um, well, you know, we talked about the earlier games a little bit. Um, this is going to be game nine this year between the Preds and Canes. Um, and obviously up until the past two games, it's been pretty one-sided in favor of Carolina. When you go back and watch, what are some of the things that Carolina did particularly well against the Preds this season? Yeah, it's funny when you asked me about that earlier, I had to really go back and look through because like their very first game was um, the third game of the season in January. That was even before the um, that was the game before the Hurricanes had their COVID pause early in the season. But um, yeah, no, looking back through the six games that the Hurricanes won, um, I think a couple, I think the themes are a lot of um, what made this team so successful as a whole this season. You know, they got really good center play all year. And when you look at this season series, Sebastian Ajo, Vincent Trocek, and Jordan Stahl were three players who really made an impact and really were productive for the Hurricanes against the Predators. Um, Good, they got good goaltending all year, and they pretty much got good goaltending in all their wins of this series. Uh, the interesting thing to note is a couple of those were from James Reimer, who I would not expect to see in these playoffs, but Alex Nedeljkovic did play in a couple of them. And then the special teams um, in this series, and again, that that's a theme for the Hurricanes all year. I mean, they had the number two power play and the number three penalty kill in the NHL all season, but you look at a couple of them, um, like if there was a two game set in March that the Hurricanes won at home. One game, Nashville went over, the Hurricanes won in overtime. Nashville went over five on the power play. The Hurricanes scored two power play goals. Another one, Nashville had one power play, didn't score. The Hurricanes went three for three. So really, I think it's that, you know, that production down the middle, the special teams and the goaltending that really, again, are kind of the three main ingredients of the Hurricanes' whole season. I think we're on display quite a bit against Nashville as well. Well, you kind of mentioned uh, a little bit of the next topic earlier. We we know the goaltending situation here in Nashville. UC Saros, he's been the guy. He's been the guy. Um, maybe the hottest goaltender in the NHL right now, uh, if you look at the stats. Um, when I look at Carolina, that situation kind of looks a little bit in flux. I mean, Nedeljkovic has played fantastic this season, but Peter Mrazek, since he's been back from injury, has also been lights out. You know, is this going to be a situation where there might be, you know, short leash for one guy or or like years past where you might see a rotation? 
I would not be surprised at all to see both um, Peter Morazic and Alex Nedeljkovic in this series. And Brenda Moore has even kind of alluded to that possibility. Um, yeah, I think you mentioned you hit it really well. I think Alex Nedeljkovic, you know, it's funny because, no, look, people, you're probably going to hear Hurricanes fans say something like, oh, this guy was on waivers at the start of the season. Yes, he was. I think that's a little bit overblown because the purpose was so that, you know, at the time they had Mrazek and Reimer and he could be assigned to the taxi squad. But um, no, I mean, the thing is, Nedeljkovic was a second round pick in, I think, 2014 and hadn't really ever shown much. He hadn't had a ton of opportunities at the NHL level, but I don't think anybody was really expecting or counting on him to be a huge picture of the Hurricanes goalie. Um picture either this year or going forward into the future but then when Mrazic got hurt he stepped in and after you know kind of getting his feet under him for a few games yeah he played phenomenal I mean he, he gave the Hurricanes kind of that ingredient that really looked like that last ingredient this team was missing in terms of being a true cup contender is having that goalie who can really step in there and steal a game for you and the thing of it is he, he's done it in a smaller sample size because he's had that he had that one really long injury with the broken thumb and then he missed some time with a lower body concern um, over the last month of the season. But when he's played this year, Morazic has pretty much done the same thing. I mean, other than maybe that last game on Monday and again, look at the team that was in front of him. He I don't think Morazic has really had a bad game this year, so it's going to be really interesting to see what the Hurricanes do. I think as Brendan Moore has said multiple times, they can feel good about either guy. Um, we're, I don't think we're going to know this until probably the after the morning skate for game one and maybe not even then in terms of who they're going to go with for game one. I would not be shocked to see Brendan Moore go with the veteran guy in Mrazic to start. But I again, as you mentioned, I would not be – I would almost be more surprised – not to see both of them in this series than I would be to see both of them in this series. And that is something that I was going to ask about too, is the veteran leadership of Mrazek. He's obviously been in this situation before, even with the split goaltenders, but I mean, he started games back in Detroit. He started big games down the stretch for Carolina. Is that a deciding factor? And what specifically about goaltending do you think that the veteran leadership plays in um, because obviously they can draw a lot of experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the fact that especially, you know, you look at Nadelkovic, who's obviously never played in the Stanley cup playoffs might play a role. However, um, Hurricanes fans know that um, a rookie goalie who has never played in the playoffs before can um, is certainly capable of a, uh, doing great things if you look back to Cam Ward in 2006. But no, I mean, I think there is some playoff history with Mrazek for this team. Um, he struggled when they've played the past couple of years, the Boston Bruins, but again, pretty much the whole team did. But if you look back to that 2019 playoff run that they had, uh, especially in the games that they won against Washington, he was very good. He was very good against the Islanders before he got hurt. So no, I think um, – Mrazic's playoff experience is maybe something that could come into play here, but I think Nedeljkovic is probably the goalie with the highest ceiling in a given game on the Hurricanes roster, if that makes sense. But I, I, 
would not be surprised again to see them go with that veteran and Mrazek for game one. Have you seen enough from Nadelkovich this year that you'd feel confident about him being maybe a guy to build around going forward? Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, you know, things can change on a dime with goalies and you, you've got to be careful because you never know what it's going to look like from season to season. But I mean, looking at his performances this year and some of the games that he's just stolen a point or two points for the Hurricanes with his play. And I mean, look at his numbers. I mean, I think among goalies with, I think, at least 10 starts, he leads the league in save percentage and has the lowest goals against average. I mean, he's been phenomenal. I mean, really, there's no other word for it, I think. Um, And yes, while it's only one season and it's a shorter season, um, I think that he's shown enough to, yeah, that I think he can be considered kind of that goalie of the future for the Hurricanes, which again is something that I think was really the main ingredient that this group, as you're looking at the Hurricanes as a long-term contender, was missing, was that stability and that future at the goaltending position. It's it's interesting because there aren't a lot of first-round matchups that pitch maybe two of the three hottest goaltenders in the league right now against each other in round one. Um, but that's what you're going to get from Saros uh, versus really whoever it is. But if it is Nadelkovich, like those are, those have been two of the best goaltenders over the past couple months. And, you know, I, I think it's safe to say goaltending one way or the other might be the make or break uh, as far as the X factor for this series. Um, you know, in, in your mind, other than goaltending, which you just talked about, what are some of the other things that you think are going to sway the series one way or another? You talked about special teams earlier. That's definitely a good starting point. Yeah, I think special teams is definitely going to be something um, that's going to play a huge role. Again, the Hurricanes have the number three penalty kill, the number two power play. I will say the power play was actually number one for a while. It has kind of fallen off in recent weeks, um, which that's a little bit of a concern for me going into this series, because if you look at the Hurricanes um, in the last two playoffs, um, 2019, they kind of got away with a poor power play against Washington and New York. And then when they ran into the Bruins and took Rask, the way he was playing, not being able to score on the power play basically gave them no shot. And the power play was a factor again for them last year in that series for the against the Bruins in the bubble. So I don't think there's a reason to panic because I think that they've had a good power play for most of the year. And um, there's enough ingredients. Like I think putting Tavo Teravine in back on the first power play unit now would definitely be a good idea. And I think they'll be able to figure that out, but that's something to watch, but definitely I think that special teams battle. um, And if the predators, I think for the Predators, if they want to have a shot in this series, they need to fare much better on special teams than they did against the Hurricanes in most of those regular season matchups. Another key would be, I think, on that note, is just staying out of the box. And that's been hard considering we kind of got glimpses of maybe the past three or four games between these two of things getting a little chippy. Um, things getting a little heated after the whistle. We know there's some history with uh, Nino Niederreiter and Roman Yossi earlier this year. Um, you know, that to me 
is going to be a big thing is can you manage the emotions of a playoff series? Um, you know, I, I guess what's, what's your overall thoughts on just kind of managing, you know, you want intensity, you want physicality, but you got to manage it. You got to keep it under control and not cross a line. Yeah. And, and I think one of the big things too, is going to be, you know, for both teams, playing, you know, between the whistles, not getting involved in a lot of that extracurricular stuff after that's going to lead to guys getting in the box. You know, you want to be able to play physical and answer the bell. Um, that's something I think that's been an issue for the Hurricanes in the past couple of years, too. I mean, I, I keep going back to the Bruins, but that's the team that's knocked them out the past two years, um, getting pushed around a little bit. And you look at the two main trades they made this year and picking up Cedric Paquette and Yanni Hockenpah, which are two players that I think they want to up that physicality level for them. But yeah, I, I think it is going to be fascinating to see how these teams can manage the emotions and keep their composure. Because I mean, you look, they just finished the regular season against each other. If this series goes seven games, these teams are going to end up having played nine straight games against each other. I mean, very it's, rare. Very it's rare. pretty it'd be pretty unreasonable, I think, to expect some animosity not to build up over that, which I think is kind of exciting because I think the Hurricanes and Predators have always kind of made sense as a geographical rivalry, but have never really played often enough to get that going. But I, I think this is an opportunity to do that here. A battle for the South, like a giant piece of fried chicken on a trophy, I think. There you go. A pr appropriate rivalry trophy. Um, well, you know, we talked a little bit about um, some of the key guys. We, we know about the Sebastian Ajos. We know about the Svechnikovs. Give us an under-the-radar guy, a guy that F Predators fans might not think of right away who might be a, um, play a pivotal role in the series. Yeah, so Hurricanes fans are well acquainted with the legend of um, playoff Warren Fogle, who has been playing well over the past month. I'm looking at his... Um, his splits right now over the month of April this year, he had four goals and seven points. If you look back at that 2019 playoff run, he scored a couple of really big goals against the Capitals. He had five goals and nine points in 15 games. So he's a guy who uh, tends to step up his game when the moments are bigger. And he's a guy too, who he's got a lot of speed. He's got a lot of ability to get in on the forecheck and create some havoc for some turnovers. He's a good penalty killer. Um, he often plays with Jordan Stahl, who has said, you know, that when Warren Fogle is going, he's really hard to play against. and can be one of the best players on the ice. So especially, um, you know, if Nashville is focused a lot on stopping like the Ajo line and the Trocek line and then the Stahl line, which Jordan Stahl too. I mean, I, I it's weird to call him under the radar, but he's had probably the best offensive season of his career and the Hurricanes number three center spot, which um, has obviously again been a big determining factor for this year. So I think that that Jordan Stahl, Warren Fogle pairing, but Fogle again, especially is kind of an under the radar guy is someone who I think could make an impact here. Well, we will just go ahead and ask the question. What's your prediction for this series? Yeah, I'm going to say, especially if they are fully healthy, like Brenda Moore said, he was pretty confident in this morning. Um, I'm going to say Hurricanes in five. I know that the Predators just won two to close out the regular season, but I don't 
Again, as we talked about earlier, I don't put a ton of stock in those just because, well, I mean, the last game, I mean, both did was basically a glorified preseason game for both teams. And the first one obviously meant a lot to Nashville. Um, I think this is a team on a mission. I think Nashville's a very good team. And I think that they've got some good ingredients, again, especially with UC Saros and Net, some of the talented guys they have on the blue line. But um, just looking at this Hurricanes team, I, I just think it's a really good team. They've got all the ingredients you want. They've got good goaltending. They've got a really good one, two, three punch down the middle. Good special teams. Obviously, the blue line is still a major strength for this team. I think if the Hurricanes play to their strengths and play the way that they're capable of, I don't see them having a ton of trouble in this series. There's a lot of people around the league who agree with you with that, uh, including a lot of people here in Nashville. Uh, so we'll have to see. But you never know. Sometimes that's uh, that can make a team like Nashville dangerous. I mean, I don't think uh, very many people gave the Hurricanes much of a chance against Washington in um, 2019. So we've all seen how that can go. That is true. And I mean, if Nashville's done it before, sneak in by the skin of their teeth and make a big run. So uh, definitely a possibility. One we'll have to see. Uh, there's one thing I have to ask you, though, as a Carolina resident. Uh, two very beloved Carolina uh, fast food franchises have come into Nashville. Are you more of a Bojangles or a cookout guy? See, I thought about this when I saw um, when you when you brought it up to me that you might be asking something like this. Um, you can't really compare them. I mean, it's it's just a matter of what I'm in the mood for. Like Bojangles, it's like your classic like southern meal. You know, you're getting your fried chicken and a biscuit and then whatever side you want, their fries or their mac and cheese or pintos or dirty rice. Or if you want breakfast, you know, get yourself a nice. Uh, breakfast biscuit I'm partial to the cheddar bow and a side of bow rounds but then cookout there's just so many options I mean you've got the tray which is like the best deal in fast food where you can literally get basically like a burger with a side of quesadilla how great is that and and chicken nuggets or a corn dog as your other side if you want or you know there's so many combinations and then there's their shakes um if I had to pick one of the two Oh gosh, it's so tough too because there's like a there's a Bojangles like five minutes from my house, so you can't I can't really like that convenience factor is weighing for me personally is weighing on my mind. I, I I mean you can't really compare them again. It's just a matter of what you're in the mood for. If I had to pick one of the two, I would probably pick Cookout just for the absolute plethora of options that you have there. But uh, it's it's tough. I feel like Bojangles is the place you go to if it's just, hey, I need like a a good fast food lunch. Cookout's the place where either A, you see it on the side of the road and need to pull over and get it, or B, it's just been a long, sloppy night. You're in your feelings and you just need a bunch of crazy food uh, to fill you up. Yeah, they had both um, pretty much on the same road. on our campus when I was in college at NC state. So um, had plenty of both. You might have a lot of uh, Nashville influx into NC state all of a sudden because of that. There you go. Awesome. It's a good school. Highly recommend. Yeah. Wolfpack, baby. Wolfpack. Uh, Well, thank you. Andrew Schnitker, Kane's country. Uh, Where can people read your stuff and uh, find you on Twitter? Yeah. So you can read all of our great content on Kane's We're going to have a ton of great, 
pieces up from our writers this week, breaking down pretty much every facet of the matchup in this series. Um, Friday, we'll have answers to the questions that we written questions that we sent you guys about this series. So be sure to check those out. You can follow us on Twitter at Canes Country, just at Canes Country, capital, each word is capitalized, so two capital C's, pretty easy. And then I am at Aschnitt53, that's A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3. Made that back in uh, Jeff Skinner's glory days in Carolina. But um, yeah, so we'll have plenty of stories and analysis and everything else this week. So if you guys are wanting even a little bit more of uh, insight behind enemy lines than what I just gave you, be sure to come uh, check out some of our stuff. Absolutely. Andrew, thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. It was fun. Uh, Hey, the playoff schedule is out. For those of you who didn't see it, uh, game one is going to be Monday the 17th. The first game at Bridgestone Arena is going to be game three, Friday night, May 21st. Uh, heads up, that is a six o'clock central start. So, uh, maybe take off work a few minutes early. Deal. All right, Sean, before we leave, I want to go back to our original debate for today. Okay. If you're, if you're going to put down McDonald's French fries, oh, I oh, want to thought... know, I want to know what do you think we were talking about? I, I thought it was going to be hockey related. I'm sorry. Oh no, nobody cares about hockey right now. Okay, this this is a French fry time. Yeah, it's French fry time. Mm. So you 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 weren't a fan of McDonald's French fries when we brought this up earlier. So I want to know what is your go to fry place? Like just really good fries. So let let me say this: I used to love McDonald's French fries. Like if you go if you go down and look in all my like childhood memory books that I have made of places I've eaten, which aren't actually real you would see that I ate a lot of McDonald's French fries growing up and I really liked them a lot. And then I'm going to say this, and this is probably what's ruined me. But when, when I was 12, we moved to a town that didn't have a McDonald's. What town is that? (laughs) Well, it's not important, but it didn't have a McDonald's (laughs) until after I graduated from high school and went off to college. And I remember being in college and one of the guys I was really good friends with in college was from the next town over and uh, I remember he came to my room one day and he was like, did you hear the news? And I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, man. And he's like, your hometown got a McDonald's. And I was like, what? That's insane. There's no way. <laughs> so I'd gone on this really long period. I'm talking from the age of 12 to like 18, where I really wasn't around McDonald's fries that much. And I don't know if something changed between the years of like 1991 and 1998, but I feel like they they started using like different fries or they cut them different or something like that. And to me, they've just never quite been the same. So I, I don't I feel like I have a lot of weird food opinions because I typically don't like the thing that's really popular. But um, there's there's always a reason for that. And so I'm going to say something besides a McDonald's here, but that's the reason why. And I think the reason why is probably more important than the answer in this. I, case. I will I will say this in your defense McDonald's fries, when they're done wrong, can go very wrong. Yeah, like that's like that's just one of those things. Like when when McDonald's fries are done right, like it's it's god tier. It's a god tier food item. Um, yeah, but but when they're done wrong, you know they're they're soggy. They're 
a little bit underdone. The salt ratio is not right. It just kind of tastes like oil. So I, I yeah. get where you're coming from with that. Yeah. I've, and I think, I think too, as I've gotten older, you know, there's, there's kind of this, I don't know, you develop this intolerance for stuff that's fried and old oil. Um, it's like, you can taste that it's just old oil and you're like, ah, I don't want to eat this. Um, and I feel like most places don't change their oil as much as they used to, but I know that formulas change and I know that like the suppliers change for all these places. And, you know, I think about like the breakfast burrito at McDonald's, which used to be about 80% of my diet for a long time. And one of the things that made them so good was the tortillas were very soft and fluffy, but I noticed a few years back that they started switching to this other tortilla that was terrible. And I just entirely stopped eating them all together. And then I bought one accidentally a little while ago and found out that they're back to the original, the original tortilla. So they're back on my menu. But for me, when it comes to fries, I like a thicker fry. I like maybe something that's crinkle cut, maybe with some seasoning, not just standard salt, maybe some seasoned salt, maybe some Cajun salt if you're, if you want to go crazy. So I'm going to have to go back. I could say, if I want some really good Cajun fries, we're going to go with Popeye's fries. Those fries are Ooh. really, really good. Okay? I, I heard you say Cajun fries and I thought you were going to yeah. go five guys. Well, they're, they're fine at five guys. I, you know, I have five guys opinions too, but I don't think we have enough time here for that. Um, we'll have to get into that later. But if you just want just standard, like some standard season fries, I really like Zaxby's fries. Oh, that is a great pick too. That, you I know, don't know. I'm weird, I guess. One one thing that I'll say that might be underrated, Arby's curly fries. Oh yeah. I feel like we don't give Arby's like fries enough credit. Say what you want about the food. Like the food itself is, is, is not delicious. My favorite. Um we we just lost our Arby's sponsorship. No, I tried uh, to cover it up. Okay. Well, they can sponsor half of this podcast. They are their food is incredible. This this will be like the uh, the NHL TV rights. McDonald's will buy half of our sponsorship package. Arby's the other. Um, but I, I think their fries are very underrated. You know, another very underrated fry place, Burger King. Oh, I I, like, no, you're wrong. I'm sorry. Really? No, I've written no, no, off no. Burger King entirely. I think a lot of people have. I feel like Burger King has kind of become like the forgotten, uh, the forgotten place. But like, <laughs> I, I still love their fries. Like, it's like the perfect ratio of like salt, salt okay. to fry. I mean, you're you're entitled to your opinion, just like I am, I, and I that's that's okay. I can disagree. We can disagree and still be friends. Yes, um, I'm I'm glad we can do that. I want to tell you something. You want you want to try something good. And listen, hear me, everybody out there in TV land or whatever, this is right here. This is a cheat code and you're going to thank me later. Go to Arby's. Okay. Get their fries, get the curly fries, get the regular fries. It doesn't matter. Go over to the sauces, get the three pepper sauce, get some horsey sauce, mix them together. Dip your fries in that. Thank me later. Oh, so you just unlocked the secret of the universe to a lot of people pretty much like i have been known to go to arby's specifically just to do that with my fries hey i mean if it works it works, it works trust man. me 100 percent of the time it works every time there you go the sex <laughs> panther of fries yeah that's exactly what it is 
No, that's that. I don't know. I just I like horseradish, though. Maybe everyone else doesn't. But that to me, it's very it's a very acquired taste. I will say mm-hmm. that. Yeah, uh, sure it is. But again, we've already established that I have strange tastes in food. This is true. Well, I feel like this is a perfect place to uh, call it a day. Now that you know, we've got you know, a really completely off track with this fry argument. What? A really good place to call it a day at Arby's. Oh, there we go. Or McDonald's. <laughs> or McDonald's. Really, it's up to it's up to them which one we're gonna say. So whoever wants really to come any in, place that will pay us money to say yes. they're great, we'll do it. Yeah, I can I can weave a narrative like no other. So yes, we we do it all the time. Yep. <sighs> but Sean, would you? <laughs> Other than at Arby's, would you like to tell our viewers, listeners, where they can find you? You can you can find me in a lot of places. Of course, you can find me at onthefourcheck.com. Um, I am also on Twitter at S-C-S-O-T-F. That's Sean C. Smith on the forecheck. Um, I'm there a lot. Uh, sometimes, sometimes they let me they let me run the Twitter for the whole account for the whole site, but uh, probably probably a bad idea. Um, and I'm also on the radio in the mornings and in the afternoons at five and five on WNSR. That's National Sports Radio. And there are a lot of different places you can hear that depending on where you are. 560 AM, um, 107.9 in the Smyrna and Murfreesboro areas, which is, of course, where I live. So that's the one I know. I can look up the others if you really want me to. But you can also just go to their website hear us anytime you want because everything is archived there as well on the renegades of puck radio show well that sounds great uh my list of where you can find me is far less impressive well, you can find me at on the uh, in fact i have a playoff preview up right now or you can find me on twitter at underscore ns morgan i am not in any sort of fancy other stuff oh but maybe someday, maybe someday I will be somebody. You're somebody to me. Well, thank you, Sean. And Arby's is somebody to us, I'm sure. Whoever Arby is. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Arby's stands for roast beef. RB. That's right. Okay. Wait, does it really? Yeah, you didn't know that? No. Yeah. Arby's. Is that, was that RB, a... roast beef. Yeah, 100%. Did we just learn something here at the on the Forecheck podcast? I don't. I thought it was thought it was common knowledge no i had no idea i mean i can wow. i can verify what a what a great episode this is gonna go down in history here the chain arby's is named after the r and b denoting roast beef Damn. most people think nope nope that's wrong i'm wrong oh oh huh. well now we gotta start this all over now the apology tour begins most people think that but our name is actually based on the initials of our founders the Raffle Brothers. I was gonna say, like their founder should have been named like Roast Beef. Yeah, Robert Robert Beef. <laughs> Robert Roast Beef. <laughs> His nickname was Roast. Yeah. This is this is why nobody's sponsoring us right now. <laughs> All right, hey everybody. Hey. Game one, Predators Hurricanes coming up Monday night. Uh, be sure to watch or read on the forecheck for all of your coverage uh, throughout the week. We're going to be putting more previews and stuff online. Uh, also go check out Andrew and our friends over at Kane's country. They've got uh, some good pieces up kind of from the other side 
you know, if you want to see what the Hurricanes people have to think about this series, they're a good resource. Bunch of good guys. Uh, give them a follow. Give them a follow anyway. They're good people. All right. For Sean, I'm Nick. And we'll be back again with uh, some more playoff talk here on the On the Four Check podcast.